Morning, everybody. You're probably wondering why I'm here and not somebody else. I'm kind of wondering the same thing. Uh, Pastor Nate had asked me about a month ago, knowing the baby was to be coming at some point, if I would want to uh, prepare a message. I gracefully declined and said that I didn't feel I had enough time to do a proper job. And then he found my younger brother to, to take that spot. And then life happened. Uh, with illness and maybe coming early and all that stuff that happened in short order in our church. So Brian was bumped up to take last week and then we were still a man short until Nate can be back. So uh, that left me. So here I am. So the Lord knows and in his providence uh, I'm here. So Nate encouraged me uh, just in a simple line saying that anytime the word of God is opened, it's a win. So uh, I pray that that would be the case today, that it would not be my words, but we would spend time in, in His Word, and uh, that it would be edifying to your soul. Years ago, uh, when Tyson was just a little fella, uh, my son, uh, we were at Canadian Tire doing some shopping, and many of you parents have probably been there before, where his desire was to go down the one aisle that he has his heart on, the toy aisle. So as we started down that aisle, he would spot the first toy that he liked, and said, I, I want that. And then we moved to the next toy, and he says, I, I want that. And the next toy, I want that. And I turned to Dyson and said, you just want everything. And he looked back at me in exasperation and said, yes. Like, you get it, old man. So, uh, but I think if we're honest, we, we all kind of live like that with the plans that we have in our mind is, is what is going to happen and what's, what's next in line for us, what we're, even, what we're going to, to purchase or or what our future was going to hold, or, or maybe where we hope to live, depending on our stage of life, or how many kids we might have, or what our job's going to look like, or even where we might go on holidays. Um, but Nate had also encouraged me when I said, well, what should I preach on? He said, was there anything that the Lord has, has put on your heart? And I immediately uh, thought of the book of Job, um, just as, as one that I recently went through and I felt was very fitting uh, for the times. So as we have all just been through uh, something over the last year that our generation has never experienced before and as we're into 2021 now and it looks very similar to 2020, um, I found a comfort drawing some lessons that I had learned from the book of, of Job and sometime during the middle of it I found myself in this book and the Lord's timing and and uh, I had read it before, but for the f it, it had new meaning, new weight uh, in my life, and, and it hit me in a harder way because I was reading it while I was living in a state of frustration, a state of confusion. Maybe uh, uh, I wasn't certain what was going on around me. Things would change daily. Uh, I was I was angry. I was wondering why everybody was at least as angry or more so than me. Um, I started asking questions like, is it possible that God's just lost control? Um, or is it possible that, that God is just chastening uh, our world? Is this Romans 1 in action? Uh, did he have a plan in all of this? So as we look at the book of Job, we're just going to take a bird's eye, eye view. Uh, I, I broke it into sort of three points. We don't have time to dive into too much of it. It's a long book, and, and you could probably preach for a long time on it, over many, many sermons. Um, so the three points that, that I broke it down to personally were God's position, first, second, God's patient testing, and third, 
God's purpose. So uh, as we consider this book, just to provide a bit of background to the passage, we don't know exactly who the writer of this book uh, is. Some have figured that it possibly was Moses or, or Solomon. Um, I think it's clear, though, that it's not Job himself. His, he's completely ignorant to what is going on in the first part of of the book, his questions of why suggest that he had no idea of the heavenly conversations that were taking place at the time around him. Uh, it's estimated to have taken place around the time of Abraham, we're not certain, but there's some clues that, that give us this as a possible guess. Uh, he, he lives to about 200 years. Uh, his wealth, he's a wealthy man, we read about that right away, but it's measured in animals the size of his flocks. Uh, sort of a different way of measuring wealth than, than we would do now and, and even later in the scriptures. So uh, we know from the first few verses that he was a blameless and upright man. We know he was a married man and, and a wealthy man that had seven sons and three daughters. So if you're not already there, if you turn with me to Job chapter 1, verses 6 to 12. Job 1, 6 to 12. And this is... The heavenly conversation that Job was unaware of. Now there was a day, starting in verse 6, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So in this conversation we see God's position. The book begins with a meeting in the heavenlies between God and Satan. We see that God, the God that we serve, works in a sphere that we are largely unaware of. Scripture only gives us glimpses into the heavenly realm, but we really know very little. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 3 to 14, and I'm going to hit a lot of different verses outside of the book of Job, and for the sake of time, you can maybe write them down, but I won't switch to, or turn to them. In 2 Corinthians 12, 3 to 4, the Apostle Paul speaks of a vision into heaven that he was given, and it's immediately followed by Paul being given a thorn in the flesh. Again, we're not certain what that was, but he was given a thorn and it said that he was given it, he, he attests to this, that he was given to it as a means of keeping him from being conceited based on the revelation he was just given. He was given this picture into heaven and then followed up by a thorn to keep him from being proud, having been given this vision. And it's clear that the Lord clearly guards the details of what happens in the heavenlies. We see another sliver as we read in, in Job 1 verse 7 where it says, The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. It's interesting to, to note, and I don't want you to miss this, that the Lord is the one that initiates the conversation with Satan. 
when he asks, where have you been, in, in, in verse 7. It's, it's a crucial lesson throughout the book that can be easily missed. It's the Lord who holds the cards. And it's the Lord that initiates the questions, not Satan. It's the Lord who sets the parameters, as we see in the coming verses. It's not Satan. It's the Lord who allows Job to go through the trials that he went through. Satan must first be granted permission from God in order to do anything. The Lord sets the specifics as to exactly how far Satan can go. Neither Job nor, nor Satan himself or Job's friends had any swaying power over the Almighty God. We see a, a, a similar exchange, uh, some, some close parallels in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, uh, a familiar passage right before Christ is betrayed in the garden, where Satan asks Jesus permission to sift Peter like wheat. So we read in Luke 21, 31, Christ says to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, and your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Again, we see that Satan having first has to bring his attentions before the Lord for permission. The word you makes it sound like the sifting was only maybe meant for Peter himself specifically. That's the way we would read it in English, but the Greek makes it more clear that it's you, plural. That the testing would not only be unique to Peter, that Satan desired to have all of the disciples. And we see all the disciples scatter. Uh, just as Satan today desires to have each and every one of us. That he's not satisfied with just one or two. That he wants everyone. The passage is also followed by a well-known story of Peter claiming that he would never deny Christ. Even to the point of death. Sadly, this is followed, as most of you know, that followed directly by the denial of Christ three times. It, it brings new weight to the passage we read written by Peter himself in 1 Peter 5, 8, when Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking, seeking someone to devour, pardon me. Peter understood that the devil's pursuit and desire to have him, uh, he understood it in a very acute way. He, he literally looked into the face of Christ, heard Christ tell him that he was going to be sifted, and directly to Christ that he would not fail, that he was certain that he would succeed, that he would stand tall, that he would be faithful to the, to the very end. And again, in this exchange, we see a picture of what Paul the Apostle Paul would write later when he, when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. I think an interesting note to, to continue to read this in context, we read a little further into verse 13, another common uh, familiar passage to most of us where it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure under it. Seeing the very real power of Satan in action, like we see in the lives of, of Job and in, with Peter, it could cause us to fear. It should not. It should, it should just humble us and cause us to realize that if we're not connected into the vine, if we're not grafted into the grind, the vine, which is, which is Christ, we literally stand zero chance of standing up against Satan and his demons. And 
We read in John 15, 5, where Jesus says, he's talking to himself, says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The obvious question to follow is then, how do we abide in Christ? Well, first, in order to abide in Christ, we must have trusted in Christ as our Savior and Lord of our life. When we've trusted in Christ, He gives us His Holy Spirit as our seal, our guarantee, if you will, of our inheritance in Him. You can read about that. Uh, again, I won't turn to it, but in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, it, it, it fleshes that out. With the power of the Holy Spirit now abiding in us, if we've indeed trusted in Christ, we have the power now to stand up against Satan. We also, again, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but in Ephesians 6, another common passage um, referred to lots, we read about the armor of God. We read the specifics of the armor and how we are to be equipped in each way to stand against Satan as a believer. And without this armor, we don't stand a chance. Another way that we can keep from falling to the temptations of, of Satan is, is exactly what we're doing now, is keeping our, our noses in the Word. If our nose is in the Word, we can recognize Satan and his deception. If our nose is in the Word, we are equipped to, to meet the accusations and, and meet uh, the deceptions that Satan says as the father of lies. The, uh, somebody once said that, that it's not a, a full lie that we need to be wary of. It's, it's, it's a part truth. A mostly truth. And Satan's famous for the mostly truths. Another practical way that, that we can be equipped to face the trials we're going to face is, is what we're doing here, even as a small group, is, is we're fighting the, for the fellowship. That we're, we're making an effort, and, and our church and many churches around us have had to brainstorm, have, have needed extra volunteers, all hands on deck, think outside the box, all the the ways you can describe it, to make fellowship happen. It's different, it's not what we're used to or probably what we like, but, but we're fighting for it. And why do we do that? And I think a passage that, that we refer to lots in this that is, is a, a charge to that end is Hebrews 10, 24-25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The passage paints a beautiful picture of us, the body, being in one another's corner as a means of encouragement, but also a challenge. It's, it's a picture of, of mutual encouragement. It's not just a picture, as, as some would think, of, of a pastor or somebody that we, we see as more mature than us spiritually putting on a show or sharing a message and everybody just watches and, and passively takes it in, that, that it's a body, as, as a family, as, as, as all parts being needed to sharpen one another. We, we just read in 1 Peter 5 that Satan would like nothing better than to pluck one of us off. He's referred to as a lion prowling around. He's looking for somebody to grab. And if we're not part of the body, if we're not abiding in Christ, we are... Or easy to pluck off, and I encourage you if there's people that come to mind that, that maybe can't be here because of health reasons or, or whatever it is, that we would reach out to them and make sure that they don't end off in an island by themselves, because that's where they're easily to be attacked by Satan. 
So keep an eye out for those folks and encourage them. The second point is we see is God's patient testing of Job. Again, Satan is the one doing the evil, but it's through the hands of the Lord that's allowed. So we read in, in the second part of chapter one into the second or the first part of chapter two a progression of extreme suffering. We first see that Satan is allowed to take Job's property, his his wealth, his sheep, his oxen, his donkeys, along with his servants. And then we see Satan being allowed to take all of his children, his ten children, seven sons, three daughters, wiped out. And then finally Satan is allowed to inflict Job's own personal health. It's important to remind ourselves as we read through these tragic events take place that, that Job didn't get the heads up, but we do. We, we start the book off in, in chapter 1, verse 1, and we hear of this heavenly exchange and, and, and we can deduce that something's going to happen that's not going to be pleasant, but, but Job was ignorant of all that. We see in verse 116 that as the messengers come, these people that, that came to tell Job of the bad news, it says, well, he was yet speaking. Well, the first messenger wasn't even done speaking, telling of this horrible news that happened, of the loss. Another messenger comes, delivering more bad news. And this happens twice more for a total of four crushing blows, back to back to back to back, without even breath in between. I think we've all experienced much over this year. I think of our church, I think of our personal lives, the things that we face that we did not see coming a loss of, of normalcy. We, we lost a lot of, of, of plans we had as a church. I know for me, we lost potlucks, which was extremely difficult, but I'm still working on getting over it. We lost family plans. We lost jobs, maybe. Obviously, there was health issues. Some of us have lost loved ones and, and didn't even have the opportunity to grieve properly or have a proper funeral with, with family and friends. And, and trials that we face and many others that I haven't listed here that we really uh, have lost things we hold dear. There's essentially an endless list of, of trials that we're going to face or we have or maybe already faced in our lifetime. But if there's, if you're anything like me, the first thing that, that I do when these trials come and, and, and knock on my door is I make a list and I, my list is, is usually why, why, and, and then why. And, uh, your list is maybe different than mine, but I'm sure why is, is probably part of it. Uh, and again, Job has literally lost everything except his wife. And we might think, if you're the first time reading the book, well, at least he's got his wife. A supporting wife would really be a shot in the arm in this situation. But in Job 2, 9, and 10, we, we read her actual response where Job's wife says, and then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. As a means of application, I would ask you to ask yourself, as I, as I look at my own life, and, and ask, what is, what is your speech like? We are told that Job, after going through this tremendous loss, again, four different messengers come. He's lost everything, and his wife says this horrible thing to him, to curse God and die. After all this, we were told that Job did not sit with his lips. Is that a picture of, of us? 
Is that, was that a picture of, of my breath, of, of my words over this last year, or uh, even the recent days, or is my words more like Job's wife? In, in Proverbs 18.21, I just picked one passage, there's, there's many, many passages on the power of the tongue, but it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We literally have the power to, to breathe life into a situation or breathe death. And maybe some of you have experienced just, just one comment from somebody that maybe be hold dear where your legs were just cut out from you and you were just, just crushed or, or deeply hurt. And, and we know we have the power to do that as well. And certainly Job's wife had an opportunity to, to speak truth in his life and build him up. Instead, she decided to chop his legs out from under him. And in her own frustration, she also lost all this stuff but did not handle it the same way. Job did not understand the why at all, yet he clearly saw that God himself had allowed it. Therefore, he must accept and receive it, both the good and the bad. In chapter 2, 11 to 13, we read of a beautiful exchange. It should be a challenge and encouragement to us as a church, but also to us as individuals. So if, if you're still in Job, if you turn to chapter 2, uh, 11 to 13, read with me as, as it reads. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voice and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Job had literally just lost all but everything. We read in 12 that they didn't even recognize Job when they first saw him because of the terrible physical shape his body was in. And in a humbling and gentle show of support, we read in verse 13 that his friends literally sat with him in silence for seven days and seven nights just to mourn and comfort him. Um, if you're familiar with the story, sadly, this is where the wheels come off for everybody involved, essentially. And, and for the sake of time, we're just going to quickly gloss over these chapters, chapters 3 to 37. Again, it's a long book, and, and it's well worth spending some time in, but for the sake of today, we'll just gloss over these. So, um, But these chapters, 3 to 37, we essentially have a series of laments of Job for his situation, followed by accusations from his friends, as to his Job's sin somehow being the root cause of why this is all happening, followed by more defenses from Job to his innocence, and this goes back and forth. Again, God is silent during this time. It's going to be a hard number of chapters to get through, as it seems like nonstop bickering and complaining that will just never end and produces little to no good fruit, just more bickering and complaining. Uh, however, I can tell you that as I found myself in the middle of 2020 reading these chapters, I couldn't help but see myself in these conversations. Again, I'd read them before, but I, I think I was honest myself. I probably thought, man, what a bunch of whiners and, 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 and all this kind of stuff. But as I see myself in these conversations, I, I ask myself some of these questions and I would challenge you to ask yourself. Uh, maybe you asked these uh, of yourself and, and saw this in 2020, maybe not. But for myself, I, I asked how many wasted hours did I spend 
whining to my wife or to others around me about situations that I could not change? How many hours did I spend asking why to things that I didn't feel I deserved to be facing? How many hours did I spend brainstorming ways to get out of the situation that I actually had zero chance of changing? I needed to get my eyes off the temporal and back onto the eternal. God showed his perfect patience with Job. He showed it with his friends and he showed it with me as we, we wrestled with our situations until we finally come to the end of ourselves and, and we're left off where we should have been from the beginning with our eyes fixed not on, on the temple, but fixed on the Lord alone and, and not our specific situation. Uh, it humbled me as I, as I read those uh, passages. And it was, so we've seen God's position in the heavenlies. We've seen God's patient testing um, of Job. And then we, we thirdly see that the purpose of this, God's purpose. I heard it once said that, that God is more concerned with our holiness than he is concerned with our happiness. We live in a world that, that preaches a prosperity gospel or, or, or statements like, you do you, and, and what's right for you is right for you, and, and, and God just wants you to be happy, and health, and wealth, and, and all these things that, that God, in His common grace, gives to, to, to people, and times and seasons, both the, the saved and the unsaved enjoy times of, of health and wealth. But, but God is not primarily concerned about our Happiness. He's concerned about our, our, our sanctification, our holiness, and becoming more like Christ. So, you know, I've asked you again to ask yourself, did this last year, our last months we've been through, did it cause you to trust God more? Did you find yourself leaning into God more? Did you, did you turn to Scripture more? Did you, did you look into it deeper? Did you have, I know this is true of my situation, did you have more real conversations with people about hard things than you'd maybe ever had before? Uh, strangers, new people, uh, friends and family as well, but, but people wanted to talk. And uh, there was an opportunity, again, to, to preach life, to preach truth, or to, or to, to murmur and, and preach negativity. And I think in Romans 5, Paul writes in, in verses 3 to 5, another well-known passage. It says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Did God have a plan for Job thousands of years ago? Well, clearly he did. I, I wouldn't be speaking today from this book if he didn't allow this to happen in his providence. Does he have a plan for us today? I, I think many of us believe the lie that if God just laid out our specific situation on the table, so to speak, and and answered all of our wise questions until we were completely satisfied, then, then somehow we would become better followers of, of Christ. But I also imagine that most of you would agree with me that if anybody deserved to ask the why question and get an explanation from God, it was Job. We were told that, that he was righteous, that there was nobody else like him on the planet at the time. However, let's, let's read together as we see how God answers how he in his own timing, finally, in chapter 38, when he finally responds. So, again, for the sake of time, we're just going to pluck a few verses from here. But I have an interesting note in chapters 33 to 37, the title, The Lord, in Hebrew is translated El Shaddai. Or God the Almighty, there's lots of ways this could be translated. But God that, who shows his power, uh, 
but maybe is a, more of a distant view of God, or, or some would feel that it's not the personal side, where, in, interestingly, we pick up here, and for the first two chapters, the Lord, as you might see in your Bibles, possibly in all caps, is translated not El Shaddai, but as Yahweh. This is the covenant-keeping, personal God, the, the I Am. Um, it's just showing that, that, God's, that Job's relationship with the Lord, it started right, it had some struggles in the middle, but it's been restored in Job, Job 38 when he, when he hears from the Lord and understands where he stands in this relationship. So follow with me in 38, 1 to 5, if you will. And again, I'll just handpick some verses to give you a picture of the response for, for time's sake. 38, 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? We can jump down to 3818, and, and the Lord continues, Have you comprehended the expanse of earth? Declare if you know all of this. We literally have two chapters of the Lord putting Job in his proper place by showing him the chasm between who God is and who Job is. If we read the entire book of Job, if we don't read the entire book of Job, pardon me, and we just camp out on the Lord's rebuke, we might be left thinking that it would be wrong to ever question God or share our hearts with God or, uh, or have any, any kind of question at all as we fear this, this harsh rebuke, but we know this isn't the case. I thought of the Psalms uh, immediately in, in Psalm 10, 44, Psalm 74, Psalm 77. They're all full of, of why questions. These Psalms start with the writer expressing why and, and sharing his heart. And, and, but towards the end of the Psalm, it, it, it always turns back to the Lord, the writer moving from his why and his sharing his heart back to who God is and who the God he serves and, and recognizing the majesty and power that the Lord has. The Lord already knows our hearts, so letting him know how we feel is not going to shock or surprise him. Um, it just helps us to understand who we are. When, the God, when God is referred to as the potter, it helps us to understand us as when we are referred to the, the clay, our if, if we understand that relationship, our, our, our questions shouldn't be questions of accusation, but just a humble sharing of, of where our hearts are at. Again, the Lord already knows. So after all Job has been through, we are given a glimpse into what the purpose of, of this might have been for Job. And I'm sure there's many to draw, but in, in chapter 42, right at the end of, of this book, in verse 5, Job states... I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now I my eyes have seen sees you, pardon me, but now my eye sees you. It's one thing to hear of somebody growing closer to Christ through a trial, and I'm sure we can think of many people that we think, man, that was quite the trial, but it's quite another when the trial is on our front step. When we experience it firsthand and get a front row seat of what it's like to lean into the Lord and trust in His faithfulness. I thought it might be helpful uh, in closing to share an account of a person in a more recent time. 
uh, and parallels a Job-like suffering, and uh, that we similar to what we read of Job recognizing in 42 verse 5. So follow with me. It was a young Jewish girl in grade one when the winds of Hitler began to blow through Germany. It was the beginning of what she called a 12-year nightmare. Anita's father would eventually abandon her family, and her older sister would be the only one to receive papers to escape England. Anita and her mother would be left behind and eventually end up in separate concentration camps. In an account of her experience, Anita said, I would come to know Jesus, who was to offer peace in the midst of turmoil. After all, wasn't he the Prince of Peace? It was during this time that Anita's mother would also turn to Christ. Anita acknowledges how these horrific circumstances played a role in her mother's faith, saying, As I listened to the ache in mother's voice for the believer's fellowship and inspiration, I realized that she probably would never have grown so rapidly in her faith in Christ had it not been for the war and all its absurdities. God surely comforts the afflicted, but he also afflicts the comfortable. And mother had been comfortable years earlier in her open-ended, believe-what-you-want religion. Now God was daily testing our faith, and our trust in Him, and our walk in Him was truly an adventure. Actually, He moved and worked so fast in our lives that we often wished the adventure had slowed down. God had stripped us nearly everything in our life, yet we felt as if the wealth we had the wealth of the King. In fact, we did, the King of Kings. Someday we would taste His glorious riches and wealth. Anita ends the account of her time under Hitler's rule with these words, and I think they should pierce our heart. God, God's people do not need to fear. God delivers. And if He does not deliver, He sustains. And if He does not sustain, He receives us into His everlasting arms. For He is sovereign. God be praised. And indeed, God will deliver, sustain, or receive us, whatever He chooses in His everlasting arms. But... This is only true for those of you that have recognized that you are a senior in need of, of a Savior. And have turned from your sins and trusted in Christ and, and His finished work on the cross. If you fully realize that there's nothing that you could do to add or earn to your salvation, that the only way that the wrath of God was satisfied was when it was put on Christ on the cross and when He proclaimed, it is finished, and we see the veil in the temple being torn giving us access if we trusted in Christ to God through the Father, the God the Father through Christ. If, if that's us, then, then we have these promises to, to cling to. But I think the story of Job also puts to rest the false belief that, that some who have yet trusted in Christ have, that when they stand before the great white throne of judgment, they will somehow be presenting the case for themselves. That, that they'll get a chance to defend themselves, like a modern-day court. We know that for those of us who have trusted in Christ, our names are written in the book of life, that, that our, our security, our eternal security is, is, is there for, for all security, that we were given the Holy Spirit, it's our seal, that we have nothing to fear, but for those who have not trusted in Christ, they are dead in their transgressions, and they will spend eternity in hell, separated from the Father. I challenge, if, if you haven't accepted Christ, don't let this be you. You will not get a chance to give your case any more than Job did, who was a righteous man. It's all been decided. The Lord is the one true and just judge. I'd like to, to leave us on an encouragement from some verses from Paul in Romans 8, 12-17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions of sons. My only cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified in him. Pray with me uh, as I close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word is what pierces, Lord. And I pray that that would have, as it went forth today, that it would, it would do the work that it's set out to do. I thank you, Lord, for the people here, the people that have taken their time to, to fellowship together. I pray that we would, we would be an encouragement to one another, that we'd be a challenge if necessary to one another, that, and that we would look for those of our, of our flock that have maybe strayed or... or uh, are on an island by themselves in this time over the struggles for whatever reason, Lord, that we would make sure that they are not plucked off. And Lord, we, uh, we have a healthy respect for Satan, Lord, but we know that if we are in you, if we abide in Christ, we have nothing to fear, Lord. So uh, give us the eyes to see, Lord, the lost and, and the heart to share this hope that we have. And I pray in our, in our year to come that we would keep our eyes fixed on you, realizing that you are sovereign over all the things that we, we face, whether we understand them or not, Lord. Your name be praised. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.